0: Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we help you get better at doing hard things. This episode is a little bit of a celebration. May 17th, 2016, the Uncomfortable Is Okay Podcast kicked off, so we're three years old, which is pretty exciting, actually. When I, when I started out on this journey, I didn't think... That it would take me this way, and I wasn't sure that I would be going three years later. Uh, so it's been it's been a pretty amazing time to speak with a whole bunch of fascinating people from around the world, and have a whole bunch of fascinating people listen around the world as well. I'm honoured that you've shared your time with me um, I've honored, I'm have honored. i honoured that the people that I speak to share their time and share their stories with me and, and with you guys as well uh, it's pretty it's pretty special to celebrate the three year anniversary of, of Uncomfortable is OK uh, what I did last week is I put out a post uh, across social media across a few different platforms and wanted to get you guys to ask me some questions that I thought I'd, I'd have a crack at answering uh, as a celebration. And if this goes well, maybe this is, is a regular feature that we bring in. I wasn't sure how many questions would come in. I was like, wow, if there's only going to be one question, then it, it's going to be a pretty short episode. But we've got nine questions to answer for you today. So... Some of them are pretty. Some of them are pretty heavy. Some of them are pretty in depth. Other ones are a little bit more light hearted. Uh, but hopefully, there's something in here for everyone. One thing that I want to do as well. Uh, I know that we've been numbering the episodes a little bit differently as well. That we've just been numbering the interview based episodes, and we haven't been numbering the other episodes. And that's probably a little bit confusing for people. So. What I thought we'd do is we would just start numbering every episode. And that way it's hopefully a little bit easier for people to find. So while there have been 146 interview-based episodes, this is actually episode number 225, which is ridiculous, right? Three years ago, who would have thought there'd be 225 episodes of the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast out there? But there are. And in large part, that's thanks to you guys for for listening, for sending messages, and for asking questions as well. There's probably enough preamble, so what I'll do is I'll jump into answering some of these questions now. So the first question was from my mates over at Access Granted here in Wellington. And they ask, what's changed between episode one and today's episode with specific reference to how i do the podcast and what i talk about as well thanks for the question team um there have probably been a couple of big things that have changed for me over the course of the last three years with the first being the level of discomfort that i feel about doing the podcast when i first started out i was absolutely petrified I remember the first couple of episodes and if you go back and have a listen to them you can probably you can probably hear how nervous I am about asking questions and getting things right and trying not to offend anyone as well. That there was a whole lot of discomfort for me around that and around that process. And I experience a whole lot less discomfort now uh, when I'm talking to people in conversation, but also when I'm just sitting in a room of my house by myself talking into a microphone while Audacity uh, records in the background, which when you think about it's kind of weird just sitting here talking to myself and hoping that someone is going to listen to it later on. I'm definitely more comfortable with that and I probably actually find it reasonably therapeutic that I can sit down and just talk about all the uncomfortable shit that's going on for me as well, put it out into the internet and treat it as a bit of a self-therapy session. Another thing that has changed is I'm a lot more comfortable going away from my preconceived direction of a conversation or or an interview when I started out, I just tried to map out everything, uh, because I was, because I was wanting to get really good bits out of it. And, uh, I thought to do that for me, I needed to to sit down and come up with a list of great questions to, to sit and ask people. But I found that actually I, I really enjoy the conversation a lot more when I'm engaged with it. Um, that I, I, I've got a direction that I want to take things in, but I don't have every question mapped out in my head. And that often some of the best bits from the conversation come when when I'm just curious about a certain topic and, and see a thread and pull on that and we, we race down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So much more comfortable with that. One of the other things that I think has developed over the course of the podcast as well is that trying to fit people's story In with the practicality of of how they've got uncomfortable as well And, and the motivation, the application and the implementation from people. So the why, the how and the do and wrapping that all up in the context of the story Is something that I'm trying much more to get out of people is that the story is great and the story is really important but so is the the motivation behind the story. So is the the application, the how people did things and then how they implemented it as well Um, because I think that gives me the most value is understanding that and hopefully uh, the people that are listening in as well, hopefully that gives you guys a lot of value too. Another thing that I've noticed over the last three years is, is my confidence has really improved in, in terms of imparting my opinions, and my thinking around how to get outside of, your, outside of your comfort zone, whether that be in the conversations themselves that I have with a guest, or whether that is just in the, the mini short episodes that I do. In terms of the logistics of the podcast, probably not a whole lot has changed. I've got a new laptop. I still have the same two microphones that I I initially got when I started the podcast. I still use free software to record the podcast. And um, one big thing, though, that has changed is I have an awesome editor, Jylan. Thank you, buddy, for coming on board about just over a year ago, I think it was. And editing is part of the setup that I'm that I lack some skills in, but also part of the setup that I don't really enjoy. So. I think the audio quality and the quality of, of the productions got a lot better since Jylan has, has come on board with that. So thanks for that, buddy. And hopefully you guys have appreciated that as well. Now, question number two is from my buddy Eric Hunley, uh, who lives in the States. Um, so he, he's asked me, how does living in tomorrow affect show creation and coordination? So obviously it's yesterday over in the United States at the moment when you're listening to this, Eric. So uh, tomorrow's going to be great, mate. There are some challenges with overseas guests in terms of timing and I need to be flexible with that. And sometimes it means some early morning conversations. Sometimes it means some late night conversations. Um, Sometimes it means kind of sitting down and trying to figure out time zones for, for 20 minutes before going back to people with times. But New Zealand, it's not, a, it's not a bad place in terms of time zones. I mean, predominantly the people I talk to are from New Zealand or from Australia or from the States or from the UK. So we can usually find a time that, that works. Probably the, the toughest one actually was when I was talking to Hamish Wright, who was a doctor down in the South Pole, is they only got int- internet from 11pm to 1am. So I needed to stay up till 11, just to to start talking with Hamish on a school night, which was probably logistically the the toughest one, but um, well worthwhile having that conversation with him. So in terms of, if people were trying to schedule stuff with with people from overseas, and an app that I use is Calendly, it's really good. You just set up the times that you want in there. Um, flick through the link to, to whoever you're wanting to chat to and it automatically converts it into their time zone. So really, really good for anyone talking to people overseas. And probably one of the challenging things of living in New Zealand and, and talking with people around the world is just trying to understand that the cultural nuances and the in the psyches and the in the history of Um, people's beliefs when you're having a conversation uh, with someone is that you can't just assume that they hold the same beliefs as you or obviously have the same cultural upbringing so sometimes questions can get a little bit lost in translation but for the most part I think living in tomorrow has some cool advantages so thanks for that question Eric a third question is from Miriana. Which interview moment stands out? Now I've done 146 interviews. Uh, <laughs> there's cool bits from all of them. Some that I feel more strongly about than others. But I don't think there's a. I don't think there's one particular moment that that stands out. There are a lot of moments that stand out. And It's not really because I remember super strongly what was said in that moment, more it was rather how that that moment, how that interaction uh, made me feel, Uh, and that's that's happened multiple times with, with multiple different guests, and not with every guest, but there are so many instances of someone saying something making you feel a certain making me feel a certain way and just having getting goosebumps or getting my hair sort of stand up on the back of my neck from what they've said and how they've said it and how they've described their story that I think that's been the that's been the coolest moments for me in the podcast and that harks back to the the Maya Angelou quote uh I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel, and I think that's that's been something that has really hit home to me across the podcast is that there are there are so many of those moments where where people have have made me feel like that, but also that's challenged my perception outside of the podcast as well as that I'm a lot more open to those moments in conversation with, with people that I'm just chatting with as well. So that's a bit of a cop-out on that question, I'm sorry, but uh, that, that, that was my thinking on around it. Now, another question here from Mariana. Uh, she's, she's got in with two here. And she's asked, what is the biggest area of growth personally? So it's been, it's been three years and a lot, of, a lot of stuff has changed over the last three years. But I think the biggest area of, of growth for me personally has really been the development of my self-awareness um, around how I tick and what I'm good at and what I enjoy, what, what fulfills me, what lights me up. And I was having a conversation with, um, with one of my coaching clients today in terms of self-awareness. And my current thesis is that everything comes back to self-awareness. So if you have a, a reasonable amount of self-awareness, then you can layer all of this other stuff on top of it. It, it gives you a really strong platform uh, for creating whatever it is that you, that you want to create. And if you try and do that stuff without being, without having some level of self-awareness, then often it falls over afterwards. So in terms of developing my self-awareness, I've, I've got better at asking myself hard questions and sitting with the uncomfortable answers. Uh, I've got better at making sure that I don't just accept the first answer at face value, that... I look again and and keep asking why I mean I've had the opportunity to have conversations with with a whole bunch of people about why they do hard things so that has really helped me explore why I do what I do as well um, is getting all of those different perspectives I think self-awareness is a like self-awareness is a journey and I don't think you ever get to an end point with that but you just get further and further down a path and I would have hit this point of self-awareness I would I would hope at, at some point in my life anyway uh, but I think having the podcast and having the opportunity to have these amazing conversations with people and, and doing some in-depth thinking around this subject has probably accelerated my, my progress in terms of being self-aware like I look back on myself five ten years ago in terms of the level of self-awareness that I had and like a, it's almost kind of laughable <laughs> um, that I was this this young guy entitled a lot of ego with minimal self-awareness about what it was that that made me happy um, and just avoidant of, of discomfort but in saying that I'll probably look back ten years from now and and think yeah, uh, yeah, you you had a bit of self-awareness, but um it will have developed a lot more by that stage as well. So I think that's been the the biggest area of growth for myself. Now, the fifth question is from my buddy Will Fleming and shout out to Will Fleming. Will is Will was actually one of the inspirations for me to get into podcasting. He's got a great podcast at the moment called Please Blow My Mind. When I was starting out podcasting, he hosted a podcast called My Kiwi Life. And I really like Will. He's, he's just a down-to-earth Kiwi guy who chats about some deep subjects uh, and is just really looking to learn and is really fascinated. So thanks, Will, for helping me get into this and, and getting me three years later and 225 episodes in the can. But Will asks, what blows your mind as you're reading this right now? So, when I read Will's question, the thing that blows my mind most, I think, is I read his question on social media. And I've been lucky enough to to meet Will briefly in person um, once, but I've had a lot of interaction with him over the internet. So, the thing that blows my mind the most is how connected we can be as a world at this moment in time is that I feel like I've got a deep relationship with Will because I've been able to sit down and have some really in-depth conversations with him four or five times over Skype, over Zoom, over some fancy software he uses to record some of his podcasts, but I've only ever met the dude once, and it was it was brief, it was kind of 10 minutes, we shook hands, we had a bit of a chat, and then we had to go our separate ways, but there are a lot of other people as well that I've met through the podcast as well that I haven't actually met in real life, but I've been able to connect with and, and share some of these these crazy sort of hair standing up on the back of your neck moments who well I I call them friends hopefully they call me friends they might not they might just think "Oh, this is a weird dude that I from New Zealand that I talk to but it's the connectedness that blows my mind and our if we use this wisely how much potential that it has so most of the guests that I've had on, on the podcast have I've been in contact with either via email or via social media to get them on the podcast, develop a relationship with and hopefully meet in person one day. But also more than that as well as the, the connectedness of the ability to, to share these stories of my guests with people all around the world, and how connected we are because it blows my mind looking at all the different countries that people have downloaded the podcast in. And yeah, there are some of the main ones like there's there's New Zealand, there's Australia, there's the UK, there's uh, the USA. There's the Isle of Man. Big shout out to all the listeners in the Isle of Man as well. It always excites me to see, see how many download numbers come in from the Isle of Man. So I will have to come and visit there one day. But there are some countries that, like I've, it, I've seen it pop up on the list of, of downloads and I've had to Google where it is. So the, the ability to just disseminate people's stories is mind-blowing. But so is the ability to curate what we put into our heads. With that, is there's there's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that have a lot of bad things to say about social media and about the internet and about um, the negative aspects of it and how we compare ourselves. But there's so much positivity and there's so much. Opportunity for connectedness with amazing people and, and amazing ideas that we can put into our head that, that that's blowing my mind right now Will so thanks for that question mate it was cool to think about now the next question question number 6 comes from Becca Hall and Becca this was a good one and I spent a fair bit of time thinking about this and I, I spent a fair bit of time writing about this as well so this one's probably going to turn into a blog post too But Becca asks, is self-pity a state of discomfort? And how would you draw the line and get up and go to move on from self-pity? And the way that I think about it is self-pity is a state of discomfort. And most people have, at some point in their life, experienced a bout of self-pity. And probably on more than one occasion. I definitely have, and in fact I, I had one last week about how hard I have to work in the pursuit of what it is that I want to do and how uncomfortable it is at times which is ridiculously ironic, I know Uh, having a podcast called Uncomfortable is okay but things were hard at the time and I got wrapped up in a little bit of self-pity but obviously self-pity isn't the type of uncomfortable that me and this podcast want you to be striving for But I think the important thing to remember is that we are going to drop into it. That's inevitable. And when we do drop into self-pity, to remember that's okay as well. Uh, You're a human. Humans experience self-pity from time to time. So don't beat yourself up that you're experiencing self-pity. Because if you start to beat yourself up that you're experiencing self-pity, you're going to start to pity yourself for that as well that even you aren't your own friend. And then that just turns into a vicious, vicious cycle of self-pity. So even though self-pity is normal, and it's okay for us to drop into from time to time, it really starts to become a problem when it hangs around for too long. So if it's hanging around for weeks, if it's hanging around for months, sometimes it hangs around for years. And self-pity stops your progress as a human being, and it ends up making you weaker in the long run. Because you don't make any progress towards your goals. Which leads to more pity. You start to self-sabotage when you do things. Which leads to more pity. You become less resilient. Because you stop doing hard things. Because you're pitying yourself. And then you lack the ability to deal with challenges when they do pop up. And basically you end up unhappy, unhealthy and unfulfilled. But the point is it's really easy to stay in self-pity. Because even though it's uncomfortable and it makes you feel bad, doing the work that you need to do to get out of self-pity is even harder. It's uncomfortable to face your feelings. It's uncomfortable to question your perceptions and beliefs. It's uncomfortable when you come to realize just how hard the work is that you need to do. And for some people trapped in self-pity, sometimes the only way they draw a line and they get going is when the discomfort of staying in self-pity becomes greater than the discomfort of getting out of it. And I've tried this one before. It's a real shit way to do it. You stay in self-pity for ages, you end up feeling really down on yourself, and nothing happens, and you just cycle around getting more and more uncomfortable. So you don't really want to draw the line that way if you can avoid it. The first step to getting out of self-pity in a, in a proactive way is to identify when you are in self-pity. And some of the things that you can watch out for are that you find it hard to laugh at life. You're seeking out external drama. So that might be in the form of glossies, reality TV, uh, the comments on news websites or starting arguments for the sake of starting arguments. Uh, You're trying to generate sympathy from others. You catch yourself beating yourself up all the time. You're really defensive over the smallest things. Or you have a large sense of shame. Once you've identified that you are in self-pity, then comes the hard work. Because you need to stop distracting yourself from the feelings of self-pity so that you can address them you need to look at why you're feeling trapped in a cycle of self-pity you need to question your perceptions and beliefs that have led you to feeling this way and then you need to go about developing new beliefs and this turns into a lifelong process of building self-awareness it comes back to self-awareness again and is something that repeatedly gets refined and built up on and is something that repeatedly gets refined and built upon over the course of decades. Which is probably not the simple answer uh, that people are looking for, so I'll try and shorten things up for using in the moment when you do identify that you're in self-pity. So step one is identify that you are in a state of self-pity. Use the things that I talked about before as a starting point. Two do something to jolt you out of the negative spiral. I usually find that movement works quite well for me uh, from experimenting over time, either something that's reasonably high intensity, like a hit workout or a, or a kind of higher tempo run, or something with that requires a lot of focus uh, like a, a yoga session with with a whole lot of balancing exercises thrown in there. Step three, put something positive in your head, Uh, whether that's podcast, the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast, I heard is quite a good one, Uh, whether it's YouTube videos or something similar. And I think the the way to go about that is to develop a library of these for future use that you can go to straight away. Because if you need to scroll through social media for them and you're in that state of self-pity, then you're going to end up getting distracted by the negative shit that is out there on social media uh, or playing the comparison game, which leads into more self-pity. Step four is naming three things that you're grateful for. And step five is naming three things that you're proud of yourself for. And these are all all ways to stop the cycle of self-pity after you've identified that you're in it. I'll use one or a combination of them when I need to. What I try and do as well is I try and incorporate those four things plus some others into my daily routine to keep me away from self pity when I'm not in a state of it. And once you've broken the cycle of self pity, this is when you need to move forward. And it's really easy to stay in self pity when you've got nowhere to go, when you've got no direction. And again, self-awareness. It's when building your self-awareness is paramount. Because when you're self-aware, you'll know where you want to head and you'll know what fulfills you. But again, you don't need masses of self-awareness if this is something you're just starting out developing to move in a positive direction after a, uh, a self-pity party. You just need some curiosity. So setting yourself a project to work on that's going to be a little bit challenging but not too hard is going to help you stay out of self-pity and the strategic discomfort around that is going to keep your focus away from self-pity and hopefully give you something to interest in excite you Um, and who knows where this curiosity might take you Uh, might take you three years down the track and 225 episodes of a podcast later so that's my thinking about self-pity and, and drawing a line to, to move forward and move away from that. So hopefully that, that's helpful for you, Becca. The next question is from Wendy. And it's, what is my number one go-to when brain fog sets in? Which is an interesting question. And Wendy made a, made a cool point that brain fog probably sets in a little bit more now that we spend a bit more time on screens as well. And I have a tendency to agree with her in regards to that. I haven't read to read much of the literature around that, um, or seen too many articles. But um, gut feel is that I probably have more brain fog on the days that I spend more sc- more time on screens. So brain fog. I think there's a couple of things that I that I try and identify as well. If I'm if I'm in a period of brain fog, one of them is. Am I tired? Is that one of the problems? And at the moment, our wee boy is, well, our wee boy hasn't been sleeping that well throughout. So most of the time I am tired. So sometimes it's the identification of of tiredness and that's causing some brain fog. Another big one for me is, am I hungry? If I'm hungry, that definitely causes some brain fog as well. So tiredness, probably not a whole heap I can do to address that other than try and nap more and go to bed earlier. Hungry, easy fix is to is to eat something. But again my my number one go-to when brain fog sets in is to is to get out and move and like I talked about before it's kind of breaking the cycle of self-pity, getting out of brain fog, ideally something a little bit more high intensity like some weights or or like a run or something that requires focus from different parts of my brain. So when I'm doing a lot of screen work, um, my prefrontal processing cortex is, is going really really hard, it starts to get fatigued, brain fog sets in. Switching things up to to do something physical where I'm not using so much of that prefrontal cortex, um, but I move my body, I start to breathe a little bit deeper, kind of calm my arousal state down a little bit, and just shift the focus, give my brain a chance to rest between sets. That's usually my go-to. I appreciate that not everyone has the opportunity, and, and I don't as well, not everyone has the opportunity to go and do a burst of exercise sometimes they need something a little bit quicker but with that being said you can just drop on the floor and do 10 or 20 push-ups and 10 or 20 air squats but getting outside getting some fresh air for 5 or 10 minutes looking up at the horizon so changing the point that uh, my point of focus that I'm looking at um, and i I liken looking at the horizon to kind of looking at the big picture rather than looking at things in, in minute detail if you're looking down and I find that's that's helpful for me in terms of thinking about it but also in terms of clearing my head as well and, and gaining a bit of perspective. So just giving the processing parts of my brain a little bit of a break and a little bit of a chance to to rest and recover a little bit of time between sets as I said so they're my, they my go-tos. Firstly would be movement. Second would be a way to change perspective and, and get outside. The next question is a question from Carl Condliff. And just want to take a moment to say a special thanks to Carl because he's been he's been a dude that's been massively supportive of me through this podcasting journey and with the stuff that I'm, I'm trying to do with Uncomfortable is okay. So... Carl, mate, thanks so much for, for all your support, your, all your ideas, all your ways to, to make things a little bit easier for me. Hopefully, this question pays some of that back for you, mate. So a bit of context, Carl has a, has a background as a, as a teacher. So his question is, how can I teach a teenager that it's okay to fail? So many students are afraid to step out of their comfort zone for fear of failure. In failure at any age, it's a real tough pill to swallow and the teenage years are probably one of the hardest to swallow that pill. Teenagers aren't a little kid anymore trying out a whole lot of new stuff and not really expecting to be any good at it anyway. They tend to be trying to develop a sense of self-identity that's that's tied to what they're good at and their brains are still developing, especially the, the emotional processing centers of their brains. And I think New Zealand's an interesting place to grow up with this as well. And some of the people from overseas might not appreciate this in New Zealand. Some of you might, some of you might have something similar that goes on where you live as well. Because not only are you going to get ripped out by your mates and also not your mates if you fail, if you mess something up. But you also have to deal with tall poppy syndrome where you get cut down if you stand out as well. Which is. Messes with your head when you're a teenager. Because if you go and try something out of your comfort zone. The perception is that the outcome is going to be negative either way. If you fail. Then you get ripped out. If you succeed. Then you get cut down. So there's no. Positive outcome. With those two options. So is it any surprise that people want to stay nice and comfortable. But. Keeping kids safe and comfortable and away from any hardship or challenge doesn't set them up for success later in life. It doesn't set them up for living a fulfilled life. It ends up with a whole lot of people living unfulfilled lives who haven't developed the skills that they need to solve tough problems. And these people often end up with a sense of entitlement, a sense of inflated ego because they've just kind of coasted through and things have been easy for them. But actually, the inability to deal with hardship and deal with failure has also been linked to mental health challenges, especially depression, general anxiety, and social anxiety, which are really, really prevalent here in New Zealand and are a massive challenge that we're facing as a country at the moment. And I think we as a society have a real, a really big responsibility to go and do something about this for ourselves, for our young people, for the, the future of New Zealand. And I think the most sustainable and most successful way to teach and develop the ability of a young person to, to fail is to shift their perception and and hopefully start to shift some of society's perception around it as well. And we need to frame failure as a positive. We need to frame it as a learning experience instead of framing it as something that is negative. And Carl, I know that you'll appreciate this, mate, is we need to really train our kids and our young people and our societies to have a growth mindset, Rather than having a fixed mindset. So, for people that are interested in growth mindset, Carol Dweck has an amazing book on on that. And I think that we're up against some big against some big challenges as well in terms of the way that um that the fixed mindset is kind of the, the prevalent is the common way that society thinks about it at the about mindset and about skill set at the moment. But I think the best way to to change the perception around this is to start having conversations about failure and about the positive benefits of it. Especially if we can contrast that experience to what is going to happen if there's no attempt at all. And I think we can normalize the concept of failure by talking about it often, talking about it repeatedly, talking about it in slightly different ways. Instead of stigmatizing failure as something that's really horrible that we never talk about because we don't want it to happen and then people get really, really scared of and the more positive reinforcement that someone is going to be able to hear about failure the more likely they're going to be to accept that it's something that's normal rather than something to be avoided at all costs and I think there's a lot of different ways to go about this and I think that a lot of the different ways are going to... At home with different groups, in the way that the message is delivered, and the way that well, who is delivering the message, and the the format that it's delivered in as well, but also the stage that the person is at in terms of receiving that message as well. But it was just brainstorming some ideas that that might work in your situation, and some of the stuff that I came up with mentors or community leaders coming in and talking about failure so someone that these kids look up to coming in and and talking about some of the failures that they've had about how it hurt at the time and what they learnt from it because I think it's important not just to paint a picture of of rainbows and unicorn farts and things like that in in this situation because failure still stings failure still hurts but the long term positives of it outweigh that short-term hurt, that short-term pain. Another idea is class or group discussions about favorite failures and, and learnings from that. And it might be that you need to go first, mate, And in terms of kind of facilitating that conversation is, hey, here's some stuff that I've failed with and some of the things that I learned from it. Or hitting up maybe a couple of students that you know open to this way of thinking or open to to sharing and giving them a heads up and saying hey this is what I want to do can you think of something to to help me out with that because having people go first yourself but also I think what's going to be more powerful is from a student perspective if some of their peers go first then that creates some more safety for other people to share their their failures and share their experiences and and starts to normalize it. Another way is kind of setting an assignment about the positive aspects of failure. And however, I don't know how kids deliver assignments these days. It's probably not the handwritten essay that I, I used to do. But setting setting an assignment around the positive aspects of failure just to get the kids thinking about it. Working through the fear setting exercise that, um, that Tim Ferriss talks about for those people that are interested in that just google Tim Ferriss TED fair setting amazing talk while i was while i was doing a little bit of research around this question as well as that um, i came across a conference called FailCon as well which basically it's a whole lot of tech entrepreneurs get together and talk about all the times that they've failed so that they can go and learn from each other's failures and take them away and set them up and or use those lessons in their own business so I don't know if that's something around that concept would be helpful in this situation as well but as I said I think it's about normalizing failure as a as a group as a society as a school in your in your instance as well happy to continue this conversation at some other point as well mate where you can ask questions or give feedback as we go but yeah, thank you for that that question. It was a really interesting one to think on. Final question is from my mate Joel Buzade. And Joel has been instrumental in terms of kind of helping me clarify some ideas and, and drive things forward as well. So thank you so much, Joel. I, I really appreciate all your support throughout this process as well. And in the theme of driving things forward, he, Joel has asked me, what is next for Chris Desmond? So, over the last few months, I've spent a fair bit of time thinking hard and unpacking a whole lot of stuff that I've, I've learned over the past three years of the podcast, of the past 13 years as a physiotherapist, over the past four and a half years of managing and running a team, and about kind of all the ways that I can help people get better at doing hard things and then how I can take that knowledge and how I can apply it to people's situations. It's been a really interesting process and it's been a really cool process and it's just kind of reinforced how much I enjoy doing what it is that I'm doing at the moment which is what life's all about I think. So currently, I am writing a book called Get Out of My Comfort Zone. It's around the the common processes that people use to proactively tackle challenge. And it's based on, on stuff that I know, but also it's based on 146 interview conversations plus another 80 solo conversations as well. Solo conversations? Solo podcast episodes. But layered upon top of that is the day-to-day strategies that people apply in a proactive and a reactive manner to deal with discomfort in the moment or over a slightly longer term. So I'm hoping that this book is gonna be finished by the end of the year, whether it's something that's self-published or whether it is something that a publisher might be interested in, I'm not sure yet. But what you can do is you can register your interest at www.getoutofmycomfortzone.com uh, You'll get a couple of, of, I think the the email sends you a couple of strategies straight off the bat. What I'll do as well is I'll, I'll send out sporadic updates about how the book is going. And when it comes out, I'll make sure I hook everyone up with a deal that, that's signed up and, and shown their interest. So that's one thing that's happening. Another thing that is happening is coaching and training groups and individuals to get better at doing hard things and I really enjoy the the teaching and the interacting with people to help them solve problems in a practical way within the context of their life so it's not it's not some preach from the top of the mountain kind of coaching or training and just rah 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 inspirational stuff but how do you do this practically how do you do this in your life and predominantly I've been working with real estate agents and, and small business owners so far and I really enjoy working with them because they're people that are, are really motivated to, to get better at doing hard things. So it's it's been great fun. Um, so if you're a small business owner or a real estate agent and you want some help, I would love to, to help you out. But if you or your organization is interested in getting better at doing hard things, no matter who you are, then I'd love to have a chat with you about how I can help and if working together might be a good fit and whether that be through building resilience or building mental fitness understanding and actioning your motivation or doing the hard work of implementation or developing awareness and leadership of your team I think they're all stuff that I enjoy working on so would love to have a conversation with you about that if you think if I could help you out at all probably best way to get in contact with me is just to send me an email uncomfortableisok at gmail.com or hit me up on any of the social media linkedin chris desmond facebook and instagram okay. Another thing is I'm going to continue to podcast. I'm going to continue to have interesting conversations with epic people. Continue to research how to get better at doing hard things. Share the knowledge with you guys um, so that you can hopefully get better at doing hard things as well. And just basically keep trying to get better at life, I think. That's the big stuff that I'm going to be working on over, over the rest of this year which is exciting, which is uncomfortable, but which is massively fulfilling and makes me very happy. So thanks so much for that question, Joel. Hopefully you'll be excited by the answer as well. If you guys have any other questions that you want me to answer, if you enjoyed this format, very happy to to do the occasional answering question episode. If you know anyone that you think I should have a chat to, reach out if you've got ideas for ways that I can improve the podcast then reach out I would love to love to hear them and implement them but I just want to take a moment to to be grateful and to to say thank you to everyone that's been involved in the in this journey over the last 3 years it's been really really cool it's been amazing for me and I don't think it would have happened without all of your support as well so from some of the people that I that I mentioned today, there's a lot of other people that I didn't mention that have played a massive part in this as well. My wife Julia, my mate Rich, my family as well, and a whole lot of other whole lot of other awesome people as well that have been involved with getting this going and keeping this going. But also thank you to to everyone that has sat down and spent any time listening to the podcast thank you for sharing your time with me thank you for the people that have shared an episode with their mates thank you for the people that have left a review on your favourite podcast app thank you for the people that have reached out and sent a message to me on social media or sent an email to me asking a question or saying thanks for that episode it's really cool to get messages and, and to hear that stuff from you Thanks to the dude actually when I was running a workshop who called me a charlatan as well on social media. You know that you've made it when you've got a hater. So that was a proud moment. Thank you to Jylan, as I mentioned earlier, for your awesome editing skills, buddy. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me for the last three years and hopefully continuing to get uncomfortable with me for the next three. Peace out.